Hi, this is Tamson Granger. And this is Dan Abuhop. With Tamson and Dan, read the paper. Are you comfortable? Yeah, sure. <laughs> On August 18th, 2019, it's a Sunday. One might call it a steamy Sunday. Right. So we went to the beach yesterday. We haven't done that for a long time. Jones Beach. Yeah, for a week. <laughs> well, we haven't been to Jones Beach we for went a to long Jones time. Jones Beach. Right, right, right. One of the great public places, one right. of the great beaches in the universe. Right. True, true, true. So we and went to get there. To get there, we went by. Well, first no, of all, no, to get to there. To get there, we, you have to sit in the car forever. And we take the Because bus. you have to go through Long Island. You have to go through Staten Island or New York or somehow, and you end up on the Belt Parkway. Right. Also known as the Belt Parking Lot. Yeah, it's bad. Um, and uh, it's always slow. And we've do, been doing this for years because we used to go out and uh, visit uh, Dan's parents out on Long Island. And it's a skinny island. There are only a couple ways to get there. Most of them involve sitting in the car for hours, even though it's not that far. Because mm-hmm. there are a lot of cars. And we have always noticed along the way. So you're, you know, you're going along the Belt Parkway, not exactly a great natural uh, landscape, would you say? It's awful. It's awful, generally. I mean, at a certain point, you pass by Coney Island, so you see a few, uh, you know, exciting rides, right? You see the the old the bits of the parachute jump. In the distance. I'm driving. I don't see that. It, the Bell Parkway is awful. It's always jammed. You it's, won't get an argument from me. You right. don't see much when you're driving. Right. That's true. And um, we have always marveled at, at a certain point, in this pretty much urban landscape with a little bit of water vista in the distance, Yeah. a riding academy. Yeah, I mean, we just passed by it. It's got a sign that says Riding Academy, but I, you can't see it. And it just seems completely, it's just on the side of the road. Oh, yes, in the most urban uh, environment imaginable, except you're near the water. But in any event, so there was an article in the paper about it. Is there anything, yeah, actually, anything interesting the about Times, it or not? The New York Times yeah. had an article called Summer in the City, yeah. Riding on the Beach, tells you to go there to the Jamaica Bay Riding Academy. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, I spied the exit. They're very careful to tell you where the exit is. And apparently you can go there and uh, go for a 50-minute ride um, through, you know, like dunes and marshes and, uh, you know, along the seaside there. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an interesting idea. It's 65 bucks in cash, 75 if you pay with a card. And it's first come, first serve kind of thing. Have you like ever that. seen a horse from the road? I have seen people on horses a nearby. What? They have lessons there as well, okay? Mm-hmm. It's not on the road. They're not going to be on the highway with us. I understand. They're along the side. I've never seen a horse there. Um, so, well, maybe it's something we should do. <laughs> but, you know, there are all sorts of great contradictions uh, in New York that City. I'll, I'll say, but the idea that There I was a big article on great hikes, yeah. like natural hikes, to take within right, the confines right, 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 right. of New York City. And they quoted like Walt Whitman about all the great secrets of the city, but that was some time ago, but yeah. No, there's, just, still, yeah. there's still some surprises right. available. They're in the outer boroughs, but yes. But in any event, the Bell Parkway Manhattan as well. doesn't hold much magic for me, but if they have a riding academy, they have a riding academy. But the, the fact is we... Get out to Jones Beach. We love Jones Beach, so I would say it's probably worth the ride, although you can't do it every weekend. 
And uh, we did run into a Seagull article this week. It wasn't about Jones Beach. It was about Jersey. But there was one town that they were getting inundated with seagulls. Ocean City. Ocean City, New Jersey. New Jersey. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they have a great boardwalk with all kinds of food. Yeah. That's where you get the seagulls. uh, The seagulls have gotten super aggressive. Uh, they just dive well, down. I can see that. They do that. And uh, grab the pizza right out of your box. Yeah. Um, th- we saw some of that in Block Island. They, they were very aggressive. Yeah. Well, not that aggressive. Well, but was... So much so that the the different uh, stores, food stores, have a sign saying, you Beware know, the seagulls. watch out. Yeah. You know, hang on to your food. Well, I this, the seagulls have a, a great strategy. You know, when you open your box with like a pizza in it or something, um, one of them dives down and tries to grab a slice. Yeah. And then when you're surprised and back away, 50 other seagulls come along and just uh, take over the pizza so you can't get anywhere near it. Well, the solution in Ocean City is to get uh, some predator birds, in particular hawks. Raptors. Ra- raptors? Raptors, you call them. Yes. Yeah. Uh, falcons, even owls. Yeah. And uh, so uh, Ocean City, New Jersey has hired a company called East Coast Falcons for $2,100 a day. And uh, the predator birds theoretically scare away the seagulls. So again, you know, um, that seems like a potential great business, doesn't it? If you're a falcon, you've got it made. Well, I'm just saying to our nature friends, Harry... uh, Kathy Easton. Yeah. Uh, well, Harry, Harry's Here's a, another retirement uh, right. venture yeah. idea lurking well, in the wings. Harry's told me that the owls won't work. He said that they're not going to blink when they see an owl. But apparently the seagulls see a, a falcon or a raptor, as you put it, and they're out of there. I wonder how they do that with owls anyway, because aren't they nocturnal? I mean, what do you do? You have to wake them up and say, okay, guys, we're working during the day today. I guess so. Maybe they get overtime. I think if if, if they're paid enough, they're not nocturnal. They're diurnal. Um, Yeah. So in any event, we had a great time at Jones Beach. It's just a beautiful uh, vista. It's hard to beat. Uh, We recommend it. Can I tell you something about Jones Beach? Sure. Remember there used to be nude beaches? Vaguely. Oh. (laughs) Well, I remember. Yeah, obviously. And, uh, um... Apparently, those were outlawed. Is that right? Yeah. Really? In 2014. Really? And because um, I read some article about, uh, you know, nudity in American culture. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And uh, they were talking about you know, the proliferation of nudity at places like beaches like that. Yeah. Um, and apparently, you know, it's a, a state beach or whatever. So yeah. uh, they nixed that. Well, that's, a, that's yeah, that's interesting. So that's, they, they also mentioned nudity at uh, Woodstock. Well, I that's a great leader for Woodstock. Woodstock, just to talk briefly. But I, the article that you mentioned is one with they say something triggered this. I thought it was a guy at Woodstock or some other big event walking around naked and there was some photograph. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're not going to talk about nudity at Woodstock uh, because I'm talking about it primarily. You would focus in on that, but not me. Uh, I'm going to Apparently, talk- nudity is not in at the moment. Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of, you know, freedom, love, and stuff that Woodstock was about that's not in. Maybe that will come up in a few different pieces here. But in any event, uh, look, uh, you tell me everyone's talking about Woodstock or have because it's the 50th anniversary, so we don't have to dwell on that. Just a couple of things. The Times had some great coverage of this. i got to give the Times credit when I should because I criticize them so much. And um, the Times, they summarized everything pretty well. You know, they talked about the great acts that were there. Some huge stores at the time, Jimi Hendrix, number one, Sly and the Family Stone, 
uh, Janis Joplin, Creedence Clearwater. But the article also made clear, and there were a lot of interviews, that there were groups that we all take as big stars uh, that weren't then. They were unknown, like Santana was mm -hmm. unknown. The mm -hmm. Who was not known in this mm -hmm. country. Mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, Joe Cocker mm -hmm. was not known in this country. Mm -hmm. uh, and it made them stars. But uh, the, the other thing is that the question is, what was the significance of it really? I mean, did it really matter? Was it a fantastic political event? They had an interview with Joan Baez. She says there's nothing political about it. These people, they were kids. She was 28. They didn't understand anything about politics. They were just partying. She was kind of disgusted with the whole thing. But, you know, in fairness, there was, they did also talk to David Crosby. And his quote is, he said, look, I'll stick up for it. I will embarrass myself and be a hippie and say, yes, there was something completely different going on for a second. And that's fair. That's about it. It was anarchy. It was like a city with no rules. It had no drug rules, obviously. People were using illicit drugs. No one was there. The government wasn't in charge. And yes, there was a sensibility against the Vietnam War, and there was an open to possibilities. Do you make too much of it? I wouldn't make too much of it. No. But, but it also didn't work. There was no it, plumbing. There was no food. Oh, it was, was a disaster. Yeah, there were all but that's, kinds of failures. Oh, oh yeah. Just, you know, you know yeah. I read, too? Six people got killed. I didn't realize. One guy got run over by a tractor. There were, of course, your drug overdoses. It was a mess. It's a little, little mess. And maybe we'll have Bob on some point. My brother Bob was supposed to go. I've seen his tickets. It cost, you know, $15, $18 a ticket to go to Bethel. Uh, New York for this concert, and they closed the uh, New York Thruway. He never got up there. A lot of people didn't, and uh, they mentioned that. They but it, it is a cultural touchstone. It is maybe for may many people of right. our generation. Well, it, it stood out, and I think it stands out uh, rightfully. Look, the last thing I'll just say about it, and I'll just recommend it, and I may like this more than you. I thought the movie was great. And uh, it's a documentary of a rock concert. Some people think it's the best documentary of a rock concert ever. That's a matter of taste. But it's not like I was, you know, dying to see Sly and the Family Stone. But they were great. And it, it's, I thought it was amazing. And one other quote that they had in the paper, they talked to Shana Na, who's in it, strangely, because they do 50s doo-wop music. And they do it in the movie. And they said, listen, we didn't get paid anything uh, because the concert was a financial disaster. And uh, we didn't get even paid any movie stuff because even though they made money on the movie, they cut us out. But you know something? We're in the best rock documentary of all time, and that's enough for me. So uh, if you get a chance to see the movie, I would see it. Okay. So uh, on the other end of the spectrum, great fun article in the Sunday business section of the New York Times, um, channeling and spreading the founder's vision at Momofuku. Fuku. Um, and it's about a young CEO is the guiding force that makes David Chang's growing restaurant empire work. And that is Marguerite Zabar Mariscal, who is 30 years old. But the, but the name is Zabar is in there, so that's a typical... The name of Zabar is right. in there. Okay, so, so, I mean, just, just let's review... Uh, David Chang has got this huge right. restaurant empire now. Um, they say that uh, 
Momofuku and its restaurant revenue is approaching a hundred million dollars right. a year, right. and uh, he's he's got the the video stuff, ugly delicious. Um, they're in all their kind of ventures. They want to venture into offering retail items, uh, their own uh, soy sauce and spices, etc. They're going off in uh, you know great guns all over the world, and at the helm is this very young, interesting woman. And uh, whereas uh, um, David Chang is sort of the soul of it and, uh, you know, sort of the inspiration, she is the person that really, she's the executive who makes it all work. And you're right, she's from the Zabar family. Um, the uh, Lewis and Lillian, she's the great-granddaughter of Lewis and Lillian Zabar. Mm. And we know Zabar's as, uh, you know, the wonderful uh, food store in uh, on the uh, Upper West Side of New York. Yeah, but... Also, that claims to have introduced brie, sun-dried tomatoes, oh, yeah. and caviar. But what is it, when we go to the place near the Met Museum on the east side, it's Eli Zabar's, what, what's that called? Well, yeah, the family's all over. There's been all kinds of splits. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, I, I'm not even familiar with the whole... Um, where the company right, but they're a huge is empire now. of the mo- the well, yeah i mean obviously yeah. um and uh, but anyway famous famous store so you know food um business grew, grew up is the food in business. their blood yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no doubt about that uh, her father was an architect actually really? well the, the zabar uh, side is her mother's side of the family okay, okay? marguerite zabar uh-huh. mariscal and uh, but she grew up uh, eating, uh, you know, food all over the place, you know, it being carted out to, to, you know, to Brooklyn to try new crazy places. Um, and, of course, uh, she grew up, you know, um, with that whole Zabar's eating tradition. But she started working uh, for Momofuku when she was uh, in 2011 as an intern. Mm-hmm. And she starts out in social media. Mm-hmm. Okay, helping people manage that. That's not an unusual position for a young person mm-hmm. in a, a new business to manage the social media. One thing leads to another, and she gets her finger in, you know, a variety of pies, so that uh, by uh, by about six years ago, not even six years, four years ago, uh, Chang is promoting her as the possible CEO to his board. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that that means, I mean, she's just in her mid-twenties, but she just turns out to be, um, to be able to kind of articulate, crystallize, activate um, Chang's very original, interesting, and, uh, you know, um, what would you say, I, I don't know, quirky ideas mm-hmm. into a format that works. She's helped him turn around restaurants. Uh, she's uh, sort of the keeper of the flame in terms of making sure that everyone hews to his ideas and philosophies. Um, because it's a big company. How can everybody know what they're trying to do? Uh, but anyway... Um, it's a great article in the New York Times, Sunday Times, uh, about uh, Marguerite Zabar Mariscal, and she seems just terrific and a great businesswoman. Oh, let me just mention this. Uh, the article points out that it's actually not that unusual 
for a woman to be in charge of the you know the day-to-day operations making these great food empires work um and uh, in the article it mentioned that for instance Jose Andres food group uh um business the CEO is Kimberly Grant who runs the day-to-day businesses of that Tom Colicchio's um you know, main man is a woman, Louis, uh, uh, Katie Gre- Greco. Uh, Louis, Lois Friedman is running Jean-Georges von Gerichten's, uh, restaurant group. Eric Repair, uh, is, um, his, uh, famous, uh, Bernardin is co-owned by a French woman who he terms as the spirit and the boss. Hmm. So this seems to be an interesting, um, Kind of marriage of abilities, uh, the um, you know, with these men being the creative forces and the women running the business. Okay, a little bit unheralded. Uh, Interesting to hear. I don't know what's heralded and what's not, honestly. Because uh, were you aware that uh, I don't know? I don't know most of the restaurant people you mentioned either. So, it, but uh, okay, uh, I'm certainly familiar with the Zayborn name. That's for sure. Um, uh, Britain. Oh, this is a completely different subject. Britain bans uh, two TV ads over sexist stereotypes. Uh, okay, so this is the opposite of Woodstock, right? So Woodstock is like anything can happen, there's freedom, whatever. Everybody makes up their own mind. So there are rules in Britain now uh, which have resulted in two ads being banned, and the rules are that you can't have advertisements that have in them harmful gender stereotypes. It, they won't let you show the ads. Okay. So they have an ad from a local branch of a Volkswagen. Um, that have uh, men, show men engaged in adventurous activities. And the two women depicted in the ad were asleep in a tent, I guess they were going camping, and sitting by a baby carriage. They said that reinforced uh, gender stereotypes, the ads banned. They had another ad here from Mondelez, which is a cheese spread. And you have two distracted young fathers in a restaurant who appeared, quote, unable to care for children effectively, end of quote. Again, gender stereotypes. Banned. Banned. People can't see these ads because it's harmful. Because well, it reinforces... just strike me as stupid. They, oh, I'm not going to argue that. Yeah. They might yeah. be stupid. The, the idea that... Uh... Well, they, somebody wrote... The people who did the first ad in particular said, well, the women are camping. I mean, they're camping. They're in a tent. I mean, uh, that's not adventurous. But in any event, uh, people sit there in judgment and say... Uh, you know. Well, maybe it's just a British thing because you, you know in the U.S. Um, you see all kinds of commercials with uh, men in uh, men specifically in very stereotypical female roles. You see men with um, you know babies in the snuggly discussing miscellaneous things. You see, there, there's one you know kind of unsettling one of a, a man changing a baby's diaper on a park bench. Really? Uh, well, but you know, I can you know, see the logic of that even if you think it's uh, unusual. That's a good thing for an ad, right? People pay attention to it. Right. Yeah. Right. But it's funny that they have a law about... Well, yeah. yeah. It's more than know. funny. It's crazy. So people are sitting there going, I don't know. This seems to me as what men do, really. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's strange that you would actually... Well, have you don't want little girls thinking that you can't... You there know, you go. That you have to get out of the tent. You can't get out of the tent. I, yeah. I don't think that was the message that they couldn't get out of the tent. But okay. I don't know. Uh, it, it seems to be pretty thin. But uh, 
I don't know, people, uh, it's just odd for me that you would actually ban it and worry about gender stereotyping. Okay, so just a little follow-up on uh, those um, murals uh, in San Francisco. Uh, The ones, uh, now I'm going to uh, blank on, it's The Life of Washington, painted uh, 13 frescoes painted by Victor Arnatoff in the hallways of the George Washington High School in San Francisco. It was painted during the 1930s uh, by a Russian emigre who was somewhat of a, a communist, who was definitely a communist, okay? Right. And uh, people had been raising, for many years, people had been raising the issue that these some of these scenes in the frescoes were offensive mm-hmm. because they showed... Uh, Washington with slaves working in his fields at Mount Vernon. They also showed uh, a, um, a a dead Native American, um, and so there were there have been objections going back to the sixties and the Black Panthers. We talked about this before, mm. and so people had been demanding that these murals be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Now. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of controversy, huge heated controversy about this. And the school board recently voted not to destroy the murals, but to simply cover them up. Right. And uh, well, that's, again, that's... there's still tremendous objection well, to it's, this, it's, it's... that these should be destroyed because they are so well, offensive. But it's, there are objections on both sides now. So that's a compromise. So on the one hand... The people who were against the murals think they should be destroyed. They're awful and they're offensive. And the people who were for the murals think they should be seen. And now you've got neither. Now you've got them covered up and they're not destroyed. But I think even if you are, f- if you're for the murals, doesn't mean you're for. Um, you're for them being the seen. Offensive actions. No, but you're for them. Be- you for them being seen. You think they shouldn't be covered up. Right. And then they have those people in the article. And and. It, it is, look, I, I don't want to take two sides too strongly, but the idea of destroying the murals is crazy. And the idea of covering up is kind of crazy, too. The guy, and they say in the article, and they said in the previous article, it's not like the person who put these murals together was racist at all. He was pointing up that this kind of thing went on, that Washington, you know, was the scourge of these Native Americans in a harsh way. That's what he was doing. And yet, no one could abide by it. Yes, actually, he was trying to point out that uh, Washington wasn't the fair-haired child that right, we imagined. Right, right. And yet... Uh, that no, he did have... Um, but you feel that that's getting lost in the, in the shuffle here. Right. That we're trying to tell the story with a little more truth. Right. Um, but, you know... you. You simply can't, again, this goes back to all the destruction of art that is even happening today. You can't destroy art uh, for any particular point of view at any moment. Well, apparently, uh, I, I no agree matter, with you. You can't, that's like trying to destroy the history. All right. Okay? You don't destroy the history because it's offensive. Look, it's important to acknowledge I it. I agree and, with you, but, but that vote passed by a sliver. <laughs> A sliver. You say you can't destroy. You can. They came pretty close to doing it, but they didn't. At least not for now. And I'm sure we'll come up for vote again a year or two. I mean, that issue is not dead. Once you open the door, that huh? uh, you know anyone can decide uh, what's offensive. You, you I, can go. I agree with you, but I don't. Th- I I think you're going to hear about this a lot more. I do think you're going to hear about this issue a lot more. This kind of issue, not necessarily the murals. San Francisco may be tired of it, but. Um, yeah. Uh, you, you, uh, oh, okay. So, whoa. I don't about mopeds. Tell me, tell me what you think about this. Because I, too, think, I guess I'm saying everything's crazy now. So, 
they're going to go from ride sharing on city bikes to in uh, New York City to moped sharing. Did they ever decide about e-bikes? Yeah, e-bikes are going to be allowed. I think if once you say you have to, you can have e-bikes, you, you well, you're saying okay, you I have, have the an- I have the answer to that. What? Okay, e-bikes by law are limited to how fast they can go, and the answer is yeah. about 15 miles an hour. Okay, mopeds can go 35 miles an hour. Now, why is that important? Because the city speed limit is 25. So the city, the e-bikes can't hit the speed limit, and the mopeds exceed the speed limit. That can. doesn't mean they will. No, it doesn't. But the idea of adding them to the landscape creates a different environment. Here's a problem. Yeah. What do they run on? I don't know what they run on. I honestly don't know. I'm sure they run on, on gasoline primarily. Right. Yeah. And the e-bikes, you know, are electric. Yeah, they're leaving it's an a, entirely different... Uh, uh, but listen, but it's not e-bike versus moped. No one's interposing those as choices. They're completely different universes. No, but I'm just saying... Uh, yeah, you you'd know. rather have the e-bikes. I'd rather have the bicycles. But even now, you know, I actually interviewed someone this week who was involved in the so-called Zero Something Initiative. I forget exactly what it's called. And it's the initiative of... Zero Carbon? Or? No, no, no. Yeah. It's a traffic initiative. Not okay. that traffic oh, initiative. Right. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, and I said, yeah, the only problem with that is that is the bicycles, right? You have these bicycle accidents. I said, yeah, they can't do anything about the bicycle accidents. They're stymied by that. Well, yeah, because you're introducing a different kind of vehicle who's operating a different way in these fairly narrow streets. The moped, look, we'll see. But wow, you know, we have our experience in Block Island. What do people say about the mopeds in Block Island? That they're a disaster. Right. They're dangerous. Oh, and oh. They, they constantly take you by surprise because they are running at uh, oh, you know, speed. different speeds. You know what else? I don't think you need a license to drive a moped. I'm pretty sure you don't. Okay. Uh, so, uh, so it sounds like a disaster. Well, we'll see. So, they, okay, but on a lighter note, no, wait, well, a more positive well, note. Well, there's this. There was, we were going to talk about these bays. These, right. That's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Is that more, more positive? positive note. Well, it's a okay. business, for, Again, for, business, for, business. Your, for your brothers. For my brothers. See, we can find a business for your brothers and everybody else, but not us. My brothers, if they've been taking our advice... Would be millionaires by now. There's no question about it, and every, anybody who would take their advice would be millionaires. But we can't find no, except anything. the people who are betting on horse races. Oh, well, that's true. But we can't find anything for ourselves. If anyone uh, can write in with ideas for us, we'd appreciate it. But here's another idea; it won't work for us. I, I, I don't. I don't need any ideas. I'm going to be sitting there eating bonbons. I need when ideas. I retire. Your elbow grease, their garage. Here's the business in a nutshell: people are renting. Wait a minute. Out. Say that slower. Your your elbow, elbow grease, grease, their garage. So you can rent a repair bay in a garage. In other words, you could by get... By the hour. By the hour. $25. Not by like a, you know... No. You're not going to own it for the month. Well, you could, but it's $25 yeah. an hour. So you okay. drive the car in there. It lifts it up. You can get under the hood uh, if you want, or you can get under the car in the easiest possible way. They have some tools. They have a bunch of bays. They have a, guys, a few guys walking around, like your brother could be if he owned the shop. Who can give you a little advice, and do you a can do kibitzing. Yeah, kibitzing. A little car kibitzing. You, you got to use Yiddish if you're going to kibitz. You can't kibitz in English, but it, sure you, you can. Uh, oh my God! You walk around and you uh, and you do major repairs, and they have this article saying, "Oh, gee, I had." But you can do minor 50. repairs. You can do whatever you want, but to make it worth your while, the bigger the better, because you're paying for it, right? Right. <laughs> But it's genius. It is genius. It's genius. You can take, uh, you know, um, old uh, manufacturing facilities or, right. you know, facilities not being used. It, it's not like it requires a lot of infrastructure, right? Yeah. You don't need a lot of bells and whistles. Right. Um, and uh, I think there's got to be a need, especially somewhere like New Jersey. Think about New Jersey. It's more and more dense. 
people don't have a place where they might work on a car and they might want to work right. on a car. But no, if you don't have enough room, if you live in an apartment, this gives you somewhere you New can... New Jersey's the perfect place yeah. because it has the density on the one hand, but it's not so expensive real estate-wise that you'd say, no, no, we should put a clothing store there. I mean, you can possibly afford a site that you could do it. Uh, and you have... I think there are all sorts of, uh, you know, formerly manufacturing... Uh, no, no, it's even more than that. Yeah. Apparently, there are places that have the bays already there that, are, that got abandoned or that nobody's repairing. Oh, like cars. old, um, old, old repair, repair shops. Yeah. yeah. So okay. apparently, people have found these places. They exist. So yeah. it's not like even you have an empty lot. Well, I know this is for brass. I know there are gas stations all over the place. You know the kind of service station that used to have. You know, used to repair right. your car as well. Right. Right. And now a lot of them are just. Selling the gas, and, so the, the old service you can use the bay for that. Yeah. Well, there is a little bit of the Uber aspect to it. In other words, don't build, just locate, and match up the empty bays with the people who need the bay. Yeah. Oh, this is genius. So you do this, yeah, and you have in the office, yeah, uh, the 3D printer that can uh, pop out the parts that are oh, needed. Oh yeah, right, right, right. Oh yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. So there are many fun aspects, yeah, of the business, yeah. All right, so Bryce has, had, has got to get on this. You owe us, Bryce. You owe us. But then okay, the, a few little uh, fun few, points about food, right? Yeah, yes. Ice cream. We're going to talk about food more often from now Ice on. Because Tams, Let is, me say, Tams is a food expert. Can I just say I'm yes. a food expert? He's a food expert. I'm an expert eater, I'll say that. Um, can I just say I made some killer peach <laughs> raspberry Well, you can't if you're not going to say you're a food expert. If you're going to say, an expert. But I know when I make a good thing. All right. So I've made I, a lot I, I of bad say, things. I, I have say. made a lot Tamsin of bad cooks things. stuff all the time. She makes ice cream all the time. It's always great. And the, and she always says the same thing. This is not so good. But for the first time ever in recent memory, she made this ice cream today, which is called, what kind of ice cream is it? Peach ice cream? Peach raspberry. Peach raspberry. And uh, she's walking around the house telling us what a great job she did. So uh, I was walking around saying, "This is dangerous. <laughs> this is the this we're is looking forward to this. Ridiculous. So you finally did something that's yeah. going to come out. It's my recipe. I invented it. All right. So it worked. But that right. means you know what that means. No, what? I'll never work again. Right. But anyway, so the article in the Wall Street Journal about ice cream cones. Yeah. yeah. Now a lot of us, when we go and get a gelato, or an ice cream, right. We go, you know, in a cup, a baby scoop, in a cup, in a cup, right? And uh, that's not the green choice. That's bad for the okay? environment. That makes trash. You know what you, you have to do? So you got to get cones in a cup, not a cup, in a cone, because the yeah. cone you eat the cone. No, you eat the cone, but even if you don't, it yeah. goes back into the environment. What do you mean if you don't? You're going to eat you know, the cone. A cone is pretty compostable. Everyone's going to eat the cone. It's not going to, you know, a no pla- one's throwing the cone a out. A plastic spoon is going to be there forever. Right. The cone is going to just disappear, even if you don't like it. So it's a win-win. I'm eating the cone, okay. but I get it. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Uh, all right. Good. Good advice. Um, but you had a lot more to say about wine. This goes back to Virgil. Yeah. I was thinking you know, the same thing. When Aeneas was looking for a place to found Italy, and uh, the prophecy is that uh, you will know where you should, you know, start Italy. Yeah. Essentially, um, when people eat, what did you? The men eat their containers. Oh yeah, really. And so he notices that uh, they're eating some food and it's wrapped in leaves. Okay. Yeah. And so I mean this. It's an old tradition of eating the container. That's all I'm saying. All right. Uh, wines? Talking wines. about containers? Wine in a can. Wine in okay. a can. We talk about wine in a can like every week. Yes. Okay. 
Yes, we do. And and yet we're finally, going to do it again. Finally, Letty Teague has been listening. Letitia she Teague, yes. To, uh, she's the writer, the wine writer for the Wall Street Journal. She decides to try a few. She points out some interesting things. And, you know, this is really ramping up. It's not just particular right. wineries uh, that are canning. There are also businesses uh, cropping up um, mobile, you know, canning operations that will go from vineyard to vineyard and uh, can your wines or uh, places like uh, I think it's called bin to bottle uh, where you bring your wine to them right but and they process it the the trick about canning wine is really about the liner that's right does the liner uh, chemically interact with the wine and you know destroy it or whatever and also but you told me no one likes to drink wine from a can well, I mean, there's a pro, you know, there's a people discriminate about it, but if but, you could make it a good experience, but also, but but here's, you, here's you need the other a glass, problems. you need a glass, you need a cup or something. Sometimes you do. They're trying to make a wine that will be tasty, even if you drink it right from the can, like beer drinkers yeah. and soda drinkers drink right from the can. Here's the problem yeah. if you drink right from the can, the opening is too small to give you the aromatics. Yeah. Okay. And of course, the aroma of the wine contributes to the flavor. Right. So they're finding if they, I think they, if they put a little nitrogen in the mix or something, it uh, gives you yeah, the. But let me give you a little secret about aroma. that. Little secret is beer in a glass. Glass is much better too. So I, I think you're just going to need the glass for that. The other thing is the cans are too big. For what? Um, because wine, you know, may have beer has what five or six uh, percent oh, you mean, alcohol. Oh, you mean the alcohol is too much? Okay, so if you have the same size right. can, it's twice as much alcohol. Three hundred and seventy-five. Yeah. If you have, right. you know, like half. Um, uh, about 375 milliliters or whatever it is um, it's really you're drinking twice as much alcohol generally as you might with a can of beer so you're seeing smaller cans is one way to solve that but But you're also seeing lighter less alcoholic wines we talked last week about the Lambruscos the Frizzantes that are maybe 10% so you're seeing a lot of that here's what she likes uh, no wait Wait. Okay, and I'm taking questions at the end. Yes. Here's what she likes. Yeah. Uh, a something at uh, um, something called by Ramona company yeah. called Ramona called Ruby Grapefruit Wine Spritz. Yeah. Okay. She says it's fabulous. Okay. All right. She's a connoisseur. All right. It sounds silly, but she says it's delicious, and she would uh, bring it to any picnic. Um, also, uh, something there's a couple by a company called Frico. And uh, I've seen these cans around. One's a Lambrusco, one's a Frizzante. Uh, and uh, she said, those are great. They're low in alcohol. Um, the juicy, dark, cherry-inflected Italian red is compulsively drinkable. And uh, then a rosé from called Dear Mom, uh, called the Orzon, Oregon rosé. Sounds tasty as well. So, you know... Okay. I don't know when we're going to see him. We don't see him so much uh, around can here. Can I make my one point? Got, you wouldn't yes. know because of who you're married to. When you're talking about the alcohol being more alcohol, you're going to drink more alcohol with the same amount of wine. Somebody, some people drink two beers. Just so you know. Just want you to be aware of that. But, no, but again, but uh, people, you know, does that mean you still might, from a thirst point of view, you might oh. want to drink two cans of wine. Well, then you're in trouble. Okay. All right. So here's an article that, Caught both of our eyes. I thought you were going to say that people are drinking more alcoholic uh, beers these days. Uh, I don't know. I can't say that. 
There's more and more. You see that. Well, but the, it is. It's not unusual now to see um, on the beer menu yeah. the alcoholic content. Yeah. Because some of them really pack a punch. Yeah, but that's on a restaurant menu. I think if you, if, if, what do people buy at liquor stores? People buy a lot of Budweiser, and uh, that's going to be 4%. The lagers are not going to be much, but you're right. The craft beers, the more ambitious beers, the IPAs, the Imperial IPAs, they're more alcoholic. But you know something? Guinness is only 4.3. That's all you need to know. Uh, and, it, and it's better in a can. Uh, it is better in a can. It's counterintuitive. Uh, Red Sky at Night, we saw the same article. We always have heard Red Sky at Night, Sailor's Delight, Red Sky at Morning, Sailor Sailors. Take Warning. Right. So the Times, after hearing this for 300 years, decides to look into it, and they decide it is true. It's generally true in certain parts of the world. Right. Where the weather moves from west to east. That's the key. The and that's moves, where we are. And they explain this, and we can't go... I don't want to go into this in depth because the diagram is so helpful, and this is audio. But uh, the reason it is is because the weather comes from the west, so at night... If there are clouds overhead, the sun in the west is going to be reflected off the clouds and show you red. It means the clouds are here, but it's clear to the west. That's the weather that's coming. Red sky at night, sailors delight. So the weather's going to clear up. Right. Okay. And it's and without going into too much detail, it's the reverse. Red sky at morning, because you have this, the sun to the right. And the way the clouds set up and everything, it just comes out the other way. So if you see the red sky in the morning, it means sailors the clouds are on their way. Exactly the bad right. The weather is on their way. Yeah, we did pretty well with that. That's a tough explanation. Moving right along. Moving right along. Uh, that's right. Hey, here's um, what I read. What? Baseball mystery. Yeah. Why do players seem to live longer? Okay. Yeah. So the Wall Street Journal had no, no, no. The New York Times. Yeah, Times had a. a, a article saying that baseball players a review of major leaguers like 10,000 hmm. baseball players I don't know what's that big, okay 10,000 who died between 1979 and 2013 uh, and what they um, gleaned from this survey was that um, players who uh, no, players, players, major play, league players, they generally live four four years longer. Four years longer, right. unless they had careers lasting longer than eleven years. In which case, they live even longer. Probably they live seven years. All right, but it's longer. A, okay, so baseball players live longer. Live longer than average Americans. Right, which okay? is the opposite of football players. Okay, which is interesting. And uh, compared with pitchers, yeah. shortstops, and second basement basemen had lower rates of death. Right. From disease. All right. So it's, what this is a fun exercise in is that why? And you can attribute all kinds of traits to your theory as to why you think baseball players are living longer. And they play with that in the article a little bit. Yes. But the truth is they have no idea. I mean, one is that they're healthier or they pay more attention to their health. Maybe that's true. They're more active. They're more active. Another is they make a lot more money than the average bear. And people with more money live longer. Not all of them. Not all of them. This is just on the average theory. This goes way back when, in the old days when they weren't. Right. You know something? They weren't earning that much, but they were still making more money than the average bear. Okay, so which players have the highest rate of mortality with um, groin and urinary tract? Catchers. Catchers. I knew that. But uh, but catchers and outfielders. It's outfield. highly elevated. Don't. She's pointing to me. So I was a catcher. Yeah. Tell, I know I, catching seems like the fun No, no one position, thinks it's fun. But, you know. Um, well, conversely, why is it the infielders live the longest? And their theory. Which is, you know, who knows? Is that they're sort of smaller, live, athletic 
nimble. Nimble. They don't have to make demands on the heart because they weigh 140 pounds. But these pounds. are all theories. No one, exactly. no one knows. No one knows. But, but here's an interesting thing, too. Yeah, what's that? Um, major leaguers, unlike professional football players, have no increased rates of dementia. Well, of course. Alzheimer's, of course AML, or yeah. Parkinson's. You know why that is? Okay. Because they're not playing football. Right. Uh, that would do it. But th- Football players have three times right. the rate well, the times of mortality yes. from those neurological yes. uh, diseases. Right. So, the, uh, you know, I don't know why football players, baseball something. players live so long. It, you know. Here's, here's the stat they don't have. Baseball players live long, but their fans don't live that long. If you're, if you're a Met, you're going to do great. If you're a Met fan, it's not the, really the formula you're for long have life. All kinds of exactly. Uh, anxiety. Issues. Exactly yeah. right. That's the one article I want to see. How long the baseball fans live. So, really, live. you're saying that your father was on blood thinners because of uh, the Mets? At least blood thinners, maybe more. Yeah, but in any event, uh, so we close. We have an obituary, only one, and it's not someone I know, but it's just kind of an interesting story which caught my eye. A fellow named Piero Tosi who died at the age of 92, who was a costume designer for Italian films. And they say oh, he Oh, come on. Outfitted. You always love a good costume designer. Yeah, and the costume. Uh, his costumes carry me away in these movies. Uh, well, not really. But and they say he outfitted Italian's biggest film stars. But here's the story that they say encapsulated his approach. And I just love this story. And it tells you a lot about Italy. You're the local Italy expert here. You tell me if this is not correct or this is not symptomatic of the way things go. So he gets his first job, right? And he has to basically come up with an outfit in a costume drama, or maybe not, maybe even better as a modern film, not a terribly uh, historical costume drama, for Anna Magnani, who was the biggest star at the time in Italy, this very glamorous woman. And he is stymied. How, what is he going to uh, design for Anna Magnani, particularly in the final scene where she walks off a train? And it's a critical moment. And he decides the way to do this is to go to the train station and watch women get off the train for hours until he sees someone who's wearing a coat that he thinks would work in the scene. How's that theory? Okay. So he goes and he sits by the train station. He waits for hours. And finally, one woman's coat struck him. I'm reading from the old bit. He approached her and offered to buy it. The startled woman balked until he explained the coat would be for a film role for Anna Magnotti, one of Italy's biggest stars. And here's quotes. And she looked at him, the doctor, Dr. Landis, whose biographer reported this. And, he, and she took off her coat and said, for Anna Magnani, you can have my coat. How's that? <laughs> and, and did Anna wear it? Yes. <laughs> okay. And it had the desired effect? Yes, exactly. So it tells you a lot. I think that's Italy. To some degree, isn't it? I think that's anywhere. I yeah. mean, if somebody walked up to you on the subway and said, you know, can I buy that coat? Uh, Beyonce is going to use it in her next video. You would say, oh, my God. Yeah, here it <laughs> yes, is. take it. All right. Well, there it goes. But such a such a brilliant way for him to, to put a costume on in his very first job. Just amazing. All right. All right. So we, we've got peach ice cream, too. We do. I'd like Listen, to sit here and I can't tell all you, day again, with you. You've but. never been so excited about an ice cream you made. I'm excited now. Uh, we're going to skip dinner. We're going straight to the peach ice cream. Yeah. All right. Is that yeah. a deal? It can't hurt. Okay. And then we're going to play some baseball so we live longer. Right. That's a good idea, too. Do we have to have a contract You're to live longer, ideas. or is it just about playing baseball? And then baseball? we're getting Bryce an idea. We're, we're going to open one of these uh, auto bay places. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. We've got a very busy uh, night ahead of All us. Right. We'll see this you next time. This is Tamsin Green. And Dan Abuhoff. With Tamsin and Dan, read the paper. Bonsoir.